Welcome to the ABM Conversations Podcast. The number one podcast for B2B marketers wanting to explore timeless account-based marketing strategies to drive revenue, customer engagement, retention, and everything that makes sense to both marketers and sales folks. No more fluff. No more vanity metrics. Live from India. Made for the world. And now your hosts, Yog and Manish. We are going to tinker with the growth marketing toolbox in this episode of the AVM Conversations podcast. This is your host, Manish Nepal. And this is me, Yagneshwaran Ganesh. Today, we have a very special guest, Nicholas Scalis, who we have been looking to have on our show for a very long time. Welcome and thanks for being on the show, Nicholas. Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun and I'm really looking forward to it. Right. Now, the Growth Marketing Toolbox podcast is one of our favorite podcasts out there because of how straightforward your show is, the quality of the guests you invite on the show, and the actionable tips that you offer to your audience. And I would go as far as to say that the Growth Marketing Toolbox is not just a toolbox, but a chest full of treasures for beautiful <laughs> marketers to find the right set of tools and to improve their marketing and uh, to grow the business. But... Uh, I believe I've only scratched the surface of what all you do by talking about the growth marketing toolbox. So Nicholas, can you introduce yourself in your own words for the benefit of the listeners of the ABM Conversation podcast who might not know much about you? Absolutely. And thank you for that introduction. I think that does a good job of of covering the, the podcast. So I'm a growth marketer. I'm a digital marketer, and I've been doing this for about 11 years now. And I come from the old agency world of working at various marketing agencies. And for the last five years, I've been a, a consultant on my own. I have my own uh, agency called Earnworthy. And at Earnworthy, we specialize in conversion optimization. So we help our clients who are mostly other agencies uh, get more uh, visitors to convert into leads and customers on their websites using high converting landing pages. So that's really um, what I specialize in from a service standpoint. And then um, four years ago, or maybe even longer, I started Growth Marketing Toolbox uh, because I wanted to share some of the the tips and the tools and the tactics that I had been using. And uh, it's been a, a quite a journey ever since. And you know, the focus has always just been on helping marketers walk away with something actionable that they can implement and understanding all these different tools because there's so many different marketing tools out there today. So it can be quite overwhelming. And so I try to simplify that on the show. Right. I mean, that uh, does a very good job of summing up what you do. But uh, I want to begin with something that uh, might not be very obvious, even for people who know you for your podcast or the landing school thing that you do on the side, right? Your LinkedIn bio says that you graduated with a bachelor's degree in criminal justice and a master's degree in public administration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And uh, you also interned with the Boca Raton Police Department, I guess that's in Florida, for yes. almost, uh, five months where you work closely with the crime scene investigators, the canine squad, the forensic unit, and the marine lab. So my first question to you is, what made you jump from such an interesting field of chasing criminals and fixing the law and order situation yeah. to the relatively mundane field of marketing where you now have to chase leads and fix landing pages? What made you <laughs> move? 
Yeah, that's a great question. I've never never been asked that before. But yes, all my life, I always wanted to be a police officer. Uh, and that's why I went to school for criminal justice. And that's why I got my my master's degree in public administration. And that's why I did those types of internships for police departments. And I also did some internships with the uh, public defender's office to try to see the other side of the criminal justice system. Uh, but, you know, as I was graduating, I was uh, accepted to the police academy. I was excited to get started. Uh, that internship was likely going to turn into a job offer with that police department, because uh, that's really why they they do that internship. And then two months before I started the academy, I injured my knee. And it was uh, from actually working out and preparing for the academy, uh, which is a very strenuous process here in the States to become a, a police officer. Uh, it's very physical. And so, yeah, I, I sustained an injury to my knee and they kept pushing me back to, you know, you can join the next academy, the next academy to give you some time to recover and time to heal. And my knee just didn't really get better. And so, you know, eventually I had to make a decision of, well, you know, what else, what else can I do? So believe it or not, marketing had always been sort of a side project. Back in college, I had started my first business doing social media marketing, going door to door back in 2009 to local businesses and trying to help them understand social media and running their social platforms, which back then was uh, a very lucrative thing to do because you'd walk into a business and say, hey, I've noticed, you know, you, you don't have much activity on Twitter. Uh, I can help manage that for a small fee every month and then do a good job with that and then eventually manage their Facebook page and so on and so forth. So I had already been doing some marketing on the side and I figured, you know, this is something I understand really well. Why don't I try to do this as a, as a full time uh, job since the the law enforcement route wasn't going to work out due to my uh, my knee injury? And yeah, looking back, though, I, I don't regret it. And I've certainly learned a lot from that process, from the internship. And, you know, I still have a lot of friends who are police officers and I'm still very connected with that space. But, um, you know, it's one of those moments in life where, you know, you have to go with your your backup plan and make the best of it. And I think I, I've learned a lot through that through that process. That's very interesting, Nicholas. I don't know how much of uh, of a good police officer uh, Florida lost, but uh, what I know for sure is we definitely gained a good marketer. So <laughs> thanks for joining marketing, I guess. But uh, here's yeah. my second um, second question to you. Have you noticed any parallels that you learned during your experience as a criminal justice graduate or the internship that you did? Um, uh, have you been successful in applying those parallels to your marketing practice? Yeah, that's another really good question. So I think there are a lot of parallels between the world of, of criminal justice, law enforcement, and, and marketing. And I would say, first of all, like having a purpose. You know, you don't want to go into any profession, whether it be marketing or law enforcement or whatever, without a purpose. And so I had always wanted to go into law enforcement because I wanted to help and serve others. And the same is true with marketing. You know, you shouldn't just do marketing to do marketing because, uh, let's face it, marketing does not have the best... Uh, perception. As the same with law enforcement right now, with everything going on here in the States, especially with law enforcement, uh, there's this uh, perception that it is not a, a helpful profession. And I think the same can be said of, of many marketers, because there's a few marketers out there that have given the entire industry a bad name uh, with sort of scammy, sleazy tactics. And so you want to have a purpose. What is your purpose as a marketer? And it should be to 
either you know help make the world a better place or help a specific industry get well known or help promote a product or a service that you really believe in and so to this day it's still something that you know i always say i will not work on a campaign or work with a company if i don't believe in whatever it is that they're doing if they don't have a good product or a good service uh, you know we're not going to take that client on so i'd say that's probably the first uh, tip for you know just you know the similarities between the two and then i have a few others i could share but i'll i'll just stop there to see if there's any follow up uh, let me ask you something, uh, Nicholas. So, um, you know, uh, one of the first, I, I remember the first time that I uh, got in touch with you was, uh, you know, when I was writing this blog, uh, blog post about uh, some of my favorite podcasts to go after, I mean. And, uh, of course, you know, I was talking about uh, your podcast and, uh, you know, we started talking about that. And um, if, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, you've been running this uh, Growth Marketing Toolbox podcast for like over three years or more, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think 2015 was when I started. Wow. Okay. And uh, um, going back, and when I uh, remember, I think uh, you must have at least spoken to more than 200 experts, uh, you know, covering mm-hmm. all basic marketing. So if I have to ask you this, right? So uh, if you were to give me a very condensed uh, TLDR version of your learnings based on your conversations with uh, all these people, what would uh, those four or five biggest learnings uh, be? Yeah, you you certainly learn a lot as a podcaster, both from just the the technical aspect of setting up a podcast, but then also when you interview folks, it's it really is an art. And I don't think I understood that it is there's an art and a and a science to conducting an interview. And I don't even think I'm a good interviewer at this point. I still have so much to learn, and there's so many other podcast hosts that do such a better job at interviewing. But there are some things I've picked up. I would say number one. Uh, understanding that everyone who's going to be a guest on your show wants their story to be told. So you want to give them that opportunity to tell their story. But, and here's the big important takeaway, you also need to understand that the listeners of your podcast don't simply want to hear the story of the guest. They want to hear what is that guest going to do for me that can that can help me? What is the, the nugget of wisdom that I'm going to walk away with that's going to change my day or change my life or help me um, learn a new resource or a new tactic that I can use? And so it's this constant struggle as a host of a podcast of letting the guest share their story but at the same time, trying to extract the the nuggets of wisdom that the listeners are going to really enjoy. Like even what I'm doing right now, like I'm not just telling you this story just so you can hear me talk. I'm trying to give everyone who's listening to this episode something they can walk away with. So if you are a host of a podcast, try to conduct that interview in a way where you're circling back to the things that the guest mentions and picking up on those small cues that are um, things that might be something that are, that are actionable. So I'd say that's number one. Uh, the next thing is that, you know, when you interview a whole bunch of people, you, you have to figure out like, you know, the time constraints and all that. So I've recently started doing shorter episodes because it seems like just the the trend of podcasting uh, is trending towards the shorter format shows. So when I started, I was doing interviews that were over an hour long. And now a lot of my interviews are 20 to 30 minutes, maybe 40 minutes is, is the at the at the high end. So just adapting to the changing uh, interests of podcast listeners. And I know there's some podcasts that get out there that are two hours, but I wouldn't try to compare, uh, you, you know, your show or anyone's show to those. Cause those are very limited, like Joe Rogan or Tim Ferriss, like those big name podcasters who can do a two hour. 
I think even even the knowledge project by Shane Paris, I think, goes on for two hours at a time. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, you don't have to say, well, just because they have a two hour show, I can have a two hour show. So I think shorter format shows are uh, what are popular right now, but that might change. So just having a good pulse on what is the trend. Um, And then probably another thing would be, if I had to think about it, I would say when it comes to choosing the guest or letting, uh, you know, setting up that guest process, doing outreach is really important. Uh, So in the early days of my show, it was very hard to get guests because I didn't have an audience, right? So a guest wants to be a a guest on a podcast only if there's an audience. Otherwise, you know, they don't want to waste their time. So I tried to do uh, sort of this game of leveraging. So I tried to get one guest who is sort of a high profile guest. And then I would leverage that guest to try to get other guests that they may know. Because if if it's a referral from a guest who's going to suggest someone else who could be on the show, it's going to make a lot more sense uh, than if I were to just reach, you know, outreach someone cold. Um, And then you would sort of leverage that high profile interview to get more listens of your show, right? And then those listens would increase your audience and then you could go after the bigger guests. So it's sort of this, this flywheel effect or this um, virality that you try to create by just trying to find one high profile guest who, for instance, in the early days of my show, uh, Sujin Patel was one of my guests. And at the time, you know, he was a sort of this big name. He still is this big name in marketing. And, you know, that I still look back on as sort of the, one of the pivotal points in the early days of the show. And then I got Seth, Seth Godin on the show. And that was a huge, uh, a huge name (laughs) to come on the podcast. So you could see these, these spikes in the number of downloads. And so it's this flywheel effect. And so ever since then, it's been a lot easier to get some of the higher profile guests, but, uh, you know, everyone has to start somewhere. And so in the early days I was on Twitter doing one-on-one outreach, messaging people that I thought would be a good fit. Uh, so, you, you know, you don't want to just assume that the big name guests are just going to pop up in your inbox one day. You really have to go after it and you have to use this type of, of leverage uh, over time. Right. Absolutely. And also, you know, um, doing more than like uh, 200 or 300 episodes in itself is a testimony to that, that, uh, yeah. you know, in there around for a long time. But uh, talking about this, you know, you also have another podcast, um, you know, which is called the Landing Page School Podcast. Mm-hmm. And I think you run a masterclass around that. And you also have a um, Facebook group. Um, so uh, do you do all of this for your marketing agency? Is that correct? Yeah. And, you know, I'm trying to sort of bring it all under one roof because it's uh, I've had this problem for years where, you know, I create all these different little projects, side projects. So I have this project called landing page school, and then I have growthmarketer.co and I have earnworthy and it can be very confusing. So uh, I'm trying to bring it all under one roof, but yeah, landing page school is one of my projects where instead of doing the work of, of building the landing pages or, or doing the optimization work for, for a client, I realized that a lot of folks, they want to just learn how to do it. So our agency earnworthy is the service side where we do the work for our clients. But then if you want to learn it, that's what landing page school is for. And so we have the landing page school podcast, which are very short episodes teaching principles of how to convert more of your website visitors into leads and customers. And then I have the landing page masterclass, which is going to be reopening soon. And that's a, just like it sounds, it's a masterclass with everything you need to know if you want to learn how to optimize landing pages. Right. And I think I also, uh, I receive your uh, newsletter, which I also mm-hmm. really love. Uh, 
uh, it, I think it has some really good articles and uh, I look forward to it every week. Um, so, uh, you know, before uh, before we get on further, I also wanted to ask or probably take some really um, good tips if you can share from your experience, if that's okay, uh, based on your agency, right? So mm-hmm. from, from your uh, uh, agency experience, if you could share some, uh, you know, some tips and strategies where you've helped businesses grow um, and uh, achieve some success. What what are the key learnings that you've had in that journey? Yeah, th- this is very top of mind because right at, right before the, the COVID situation started getting bad, I had uh, prepared a, a nice little presentation for my uh, college that I had went to, the, the university I went to, uh, for one of the marketing clubs. They had asked me to come in and, and speak. And so I put together this nice little list. And so I was looking through it in preparation for this uh, episode. And so Uh, There were a few things that I shared for anyone who was interested in sort of having their own agency or working in the agency space. And so number one, it's to specialize. So this was something I learned the hard way because back in the early days when I was just starting, I I tried to do everything. You know, like I said earlier in my story, I started with social media marketing, but then I branched out into inbound marketing, which was very popular back in 2015. Um, And then I started doing paid advertising, some SEO and then landing page stuff, and even a little web development. And I realized it was just, you know, we were a jack of all trades, master of none. And so it was only really the last three or four years that we've specialized in conversion optimization and landing pages specifically. So I would say no matter what you do, uh, you need to specialize. And I think there's different ways to specialize. So we choose to specialize by picking one vertical um, area of marketing, which is conversion optimization and going really deep. But we're doing it for a lot of different types of businesses, both e-commerce, lead generation, attorneys to dental offices to you name it. Uh, The other way you could specialize is you could still try to do a little bit of everything, but do it for one industry. So I see a lot of successful agencies where maybe they do everything, but they only do it for the health and fitness space, or they only do it for law firms, right? So that's another way you could specialize. So you don't have to just pick one area of marketing specialization. You could pick an industry. But no matter what you do, I think that's an important decision that anyone who's running an agency or wants to start an agency needs to make is to um, is to specialize one way or the other. The second thing is you want to find your weak spots. What are the weak spots that you see in the market? And try to offer a solution for those. So for for us, what really got us to the point that we're at now with landing page optimization, what we were seeing is there was a lot of agencies out there that were really good at pay-per-click, you know, running the ads, Google ads, Facebook ads, that type of thing. But then they were falling short when it came time to send that traffic to an optimized landing page. A lot of them were still sending traffic to their clients' homepages. And so we started realizing, well, hey, we like working with other agencies as sort of a a white label uh, provider, but we see that there's this weak point where they need help with just the landing page aspect of it. And so that's where we created our our program where we basically try to work with agencies who are already doing some type of pay-per-click service for their clients, and then we come in and do the landing pages. So the takeaway there is try to find a weak spot that you see in the market and try to offer a solution because people don't really buy products or services. They buy solutions. I know we hear that all the time. It's very cliched, but it's very true. And so you, you got to identify that. 
Right. And uh, so uh, also um, uh, talk us through a little bit about what does your growth marketing toolbox look like? Like what are the tools do you have and what, what are your favorite tools that you work on? <laughs> yeah, we could talk about that all day. Um, so I would say probably the number one tool that, that I use is Unbounce, which is a landing page builder. And we've become very deeply uh, partnered with Unbounce. So uh, we are one of the few Unbounce agency partners. We're in the Unbounce Community Leaders Program. And um, Unbounce, if anyone is not familiar with it, it's a really easy to use drag and drop landing page builder. So you don't need to get a developer involved if you need to build a landing page. And so I would say probably 75% of our work at this point is done for other companies that are using Unbounce and mostly agencies because a lot of agencies love to use Unbounce. So we love Unbounce. We use it all the time. Uh, some other tools that we really like are uh, Active Campaign, which is a email marketing and CRM solution. And uh, I'm an Active Campaign certified consultant. I was in one of the very first cohorts of the consultants program. So we've sort of seen that company grow from a very small company to now this behemoth. And then another tool that we are starting to really enjoy using and finding a lot of value out of is called ConvertFlow. And they're actually based right here in Florida. And they do pop-ups and sticky bars and basically anything that has to do with converting your website visitors into leads or customers using some type of lead generation tool on your website. Uh, it's, a, it's a smaller company, but I see a lot of potential here. It's sort of like, think of like uh, Sumo or um, Optin Monster, something like that, but even more powerful uh, with all the different integrations and, and features. So yeah, that's another really good one. And then, of course, you know, we use Buffer for social media marketing. Uh, we use Hotjar for qualitative analytics. And then all the usual stuff like Zapier is really helpful for tying everything together on the back end. I call it the, the glue for marketers because you can glue together different tools and we can get our unbounced data into our active campaign uh, database. And then uh, for any type of research that we're doing, we'll use SEM Rush, which is really good. And probably the, the final one I'll mention is uh, Supermetrics, which is, I don't know how popular it is, but it's, it's a very useful tool because I haven't found anything else like it. But what Supermetrics does is it lets you pull in data from multiple sources into a Google Sheet or into a Google Data Studio, and then you can visualize that data. So for instance, we had a lot of trouble uh, with one project we were doing where we were trying to stitch together Facebook ad data and Google Analytics data. And it just wasn't talking to each other because of the way the campaigns were set up. And so we used Supermetrics to pull both of those data sources into a unified uh, Google Sheet. And then we can manipulate that data as needed. So it's a very, very useful tool that sort of sits in the background. Right. That's, that's amazing. I, I love the bunch of tools. And I think uh, we, we'll have to go back and uh, listen once again to make a list of these tools where we can, uh, you know, uh, use this. But uh, since we are on the topic of tools, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a good idea for us to take a quick break and uh, thank our uh, sponsor, uh, which is Zest.is, which is also one of the best uh, marketing tools uh, among the marketing community. And for the people who aren't aware of uh, uh, what Zest is, it's a marketing content stream that sits on your Google Chrome browser as a new tab extension. And it's a platform where you can submit and curate high quality articles, podcasts, infographics, videos, and eBooks. It's algorithm powered by AI, allows you to handpick your highly personalized content that is very specific to your taste. You know, that's so cool. I didn't even know you guys had that as a sponsor because I love Zest. It's actually one of the first sites I visit or since it's in your tab, 
it's one of the first pages I visit every morning. So yeah, that's, that's a really is a fantastic tool. Absolutely. And uh, as marketers and content creators, Yag and I ourselves use Jest a lot. And uh, based on the feedback that we get from our listeners of the AVM Conversations podcast, many of them also use Zest to promote as well as discover new content to and from like-minded marketing communities. So if the listeners of the AVM Conversations podcast want to, uh, you know, if you guys want to boost your high-quality content to an elite community of marketers, uh, you can do that by going to zest.is slash content boost and get a $75 off on your first boost by letting them know that the AVM Conversations podcast sent you. Good to know that you also use that, uh, Nicholas. It's one of our good uh, go-to tools to you know find curated articles and also promote our own content. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's one of a kind. Exactly. So um, let's uh, dig a little bit deeper on the landing page side of things that you do, Nicholas. You are also a consultant and as part of your landing page school operations, you also critic landing pages, offer audits and uh, give feedback to your clients, right? That means you come across, yeah, you come across a wide range of uh, landing pages uh, either through your research or either when you are commenting on them. So what's your favorite brand or marketer who you think is really crushing at growth marketing in general when it comes to landing pages and can you go into the details of what they are doing right now in their marketing that makes them stand out oh yeah absolutely so um for some reason i always refer back to uh to shopify whenever i'm talking about like good examples for landing pages so i think shopify does a really good job and, you know, of course, they they should because they're in that space where they're creating e-commerce um, sites. And, and part of that is is having a good landing page experience. So I think Shopify is a good example. Um, and also a lot of the landing page tools themselves, like VWO, uh, Unbounce, they all sort of practice what they preach. And I think some of the, the key principles that you see when you look at those pages is, number one, they're very, very focused. So each of the pages has one clear call to action. And that's something that I teach a lot, or I, I mention it a lot. You have to have a clear call to action on your landing page. You don't want to have 20 different things. And in fact, that's one of the main differences between a landing page and a homepage, because I know that question comes up quite a bit. How is it any different to have a landing page versus a homepage? And you know, the, the landing page has to be a focused experience that helps the visitor do one specific thing. While your homepage you don't really know who's on your homepage or why they're there. Maybe they want to log in or contact you or read your blog or buy a product or whatever. So you have to have these multiple calls to action on a homepage, which is fine for a homepage. But for a landing page, which are traditionally used either with paid advertising or with email marketing, um, you really have the ability to hone in on a specific target audience and focus in on one message. So going back to Shopify, you know, you might see some pages that they have uh, that they've run ads to when people are searching for things like e-commerce platform. And all it's going to talk about is, hey, this is an e-commerce platform. Start a trial today. It's not going to also mention all the other things that you can do with Shopify. It's not going to mention the the blog, you know, so I think that's probably uh, a good example. And it's based on that notion of just having a, a sense of clarity for understanding who your audience is, what do they want, and how do you connect those things together on your landing page? Awesome, awesome. And um, 
I think you partly answered this, but my next question goes a little deeper into what you just said about the uh, you know uh, elements of a good landing page. I listened to one of your recent webinars with a brand called Push Engage, mm-hmm. where you talked about uh, five behind the scenes secrets to landing page success, where you also touched upon uh, these great tips to convert more website visitors. And with the surprising part of doing that uh, without running ads or applying SEO, right? Yeah. And uh, I think uh, a lot of people listening to this show would really love to know more about it. So can you give us uh, a bullet point teaser of what are those five secret ingredients to making your landing page ready for conversion? Yeah, absolutely. And and the high level here is, you know, when I say you can get more conversions without running more ads or or doing more SEO, is that ads and SEO, they just give you the traffic, right? They, they get people to the page. But if you're only converting a fraction of that traffic, then you're going to need to run more ads and you're going to need to invest more in SEO. But instead, what if you could spend the same amount of time and budget on the ads and the SEO? And so you're basically still getting the same amount of traffic, but you're converting twice as many of those people. That's the power of, of a high converting landing page. So it can it's basically flipping the script. And instead of focusing on how do I get more people to my site, it's saying, how can I get the people that already are on my site to take action at a higher rate? And that's really the main takeaway that I hope people um, think about as they listen to this. If you're just focusing on traffic, you know, traffic is just half of the equation. You need to focus on what happens when those people get to your site. And so the some of the secrets that I shared um, on the push engage uh, webinar a while back, which was which was a lot of fun to do. Number one, you know, it was it was talking about what is the true purpose of a landing page, which I think we just I, I sort of answered in the previous question about how you know it needs to be focused. You need to focus in on a target audience with one clear call to action. Uh, your campaign should be tied to a specific landing page, so that every campaign you have should have a unique landing page, right? You shouldn't try to use the same landing page for twenty different. Uh, campaigns. The second thing is that when it comes to what should be on your landing page, that's probably the the number one question I get asked is, well, okay, I understand what a landing page is. I know why I need one, but what do I need to put on it? Uh, the default answer has always been, well, you should have a headline and you should have testimonials and trust icons and you know this and that. And people talk about it almost like it's a a Lego. We all know Lego toys. You know, it's like these little building blocks, and you just put them in the right order, and oh, wow, you're going to have this landing page that converts. And what I try to do is I try I challenge that assumption, right? Because it's not about the elements on your landing page. It's about taking it a step further and saying, what are the questions that the visitor of that landing page is going to have when they're on the page? And if you can answer those questions and you do so quickly, then the visitor is going to feel like, hey, I understand everything and I'm ready to take action because everyone has these questions or these objections when they visit your page. So I've actually created this, this framework where it comes down to seven questions. And I know we, we don't have time to get into all of it, but I'll give you one quick example. So the first question you need to answer on your landing page, I call this the clarity question. And it's basically, do I quickly understand the big idea? That's the question you need to answer for the visitor. Because everyone who visits a landing page for the first time, they want to just get a quick idea. What is this about? How is it going to help me? Am I in the right place? What do I need to do next? And so if you can answer that by having a compelling headline, by having imagery above the fold on your landing page that supports whatever it is that you are talking about or whatever you're selling, uh, that's going to help. So that first question, the clarity question, 
That's what I would focus on instead of just saying, well, you need to have a headline and you need to have an image. Sure. Yeah. But that's not the, that's missing the point. The point is you need to think about why that headline's there. Why is that image there? Why do you have a call to action button? Uh, it's partially to answer that first question, which is all about clarity. So um, I can go on if you want, but I, I'll stop there and see if there's any any other questions. Uh, just one follow up to that, uh, Nicholas. Uh, where can people go to find uh, more details about this seven point framework that you just mentioned? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually put it together in a uh, an ebook, and it is at growthmarketer.co/framework, and it's absolutely free. And so this is called the seven question landing page framework. And I'll add a link to the, or I'll send you a link later if it's if it's not working. We have to make sure that everything's up and running. But basically, the seven question landing page framework it takes those seven questions that that we've spent years trying to figure out what are the questions people have when they get to a landing page, and then what are the elements you need to answer those questions. So yeah, growthmarketer.co/framework, and uh, that's where you can download the guide for free and, and learn all about it. Awesome, I think that'll work. Right, let's get into uh, our. Uh rapid fire questions um so are you ready for it nicholas absolutely let's do it <laughs> all right so uh in rapid fire you know you have an option of either going uh, deeper into the question or you can also uh, um, answer in a word or two or in a small sentence it's totally up to you so here's question number one if you had a choice to choose only one that is between uh, seo versus cro that is search engine optimization versus a conversion rate optimization which one would you choose and why I would, I think, yeah, the, my answer is probably pretty obvious. I would choose CRO, but I'll say uh, I would choose it because I think there's a lot of different ways to get traffic to your to your website and SEO is just one of them. But no matter what method you use to get traffic to your website, you need to get that traffic to convert because I don't think anybody wants a million visitors on their site that aren't going to do anything, right? You want a hundred visitors that are all going to buy. That's so much better. So I think the the value of having the right site that is optimized uh, wins out every time. So that's why I would choose CRO. Right. Sounds more like the ABM concept as well. So love it. Yeah. Um, all right. So let me uh, put you into a slightly, uh, you know, on a slight spot by asking this, what is your favorite landing page in the entire world and why? <laughs> Man, oh, uh, that's a good one. There's so many. I've probably reviewed, you know, thousands of landing pages over the years. Um, man, I I feel like, you know, again, Shopify does a really good job. I, I can't think of a single page, but I can think of styles of pages that I really like. And I'm trying to think of some good ones, probably like Unbounce. Uh, they do a really good job. But again, these companies have invested so much time learning this stuff because they have to. Um, but it, it's it's really hard to pick just one. <laughs> right, right. No worries. Okay, so if you uh, had to, uh, you know, tell marketers to stop one thing that they are doing, what would be that? Stop trying to do too much and really try to focus in on on something, whether it be the type of business you're going after or what you specialize in. And there's nothing wrong with still being a generalist in those other areas. Uh, there's this concept known as the T-shaped marketer, where if you Google it, right. you'll see some really cool charts. Uh, where, you know, you can pick one vertical to, that's sort of what I've done. You know, conversion optimization is 
what I try to specialize in and I'll never be an expert because there's always more to learn. But, you know, if you want to talk about SEO or you want to talk about YouTube advertising or whatever, I'll still have enough of an understanding to be able to have that type of conversation and, and help guide clients in the right direction. Um, so you shouldn't put the blinders on and only do one thing, but you should really try to prioritize one skill over everything else. Right. All right. So if you had um, the difficult choice of choosing a mediocre copywriter versus mediocre web designer, uh, what would be your choice? <laughs> That's a really good question. And yes, yeah, so I, I guess this essentially comes down to the what's more important, design or copy. And I believe copy is more important because think back to the direct mail days where there's a lot of great direct mail folks like um, Gary Halpert and you know some of the, the folks from the 1960s, Eugene Schwartz. Um, and these guys, they didn't have landing pages to work with. They had a piece of paper. <laughs> and a lot of times it was a single color, black and white paper. And they sold millions of dollars worth of products and services through it with great copy. So I would say uh, the design of the page is really there to support the copy. It's the copy that sells. Because if I put on a blank page, um, fill out this form and you will get a brand new Ferrari, right? As long as you believe me, you're going to fill out that form and you're going to convert no, no matter how ugly the page is. Um, but at the same time, if I had a beautiful page that looks stunning, but the offer is, you know, the form is a hundred questions long. And at the end, all you get is some free trial of something that you really don't want, then the design really doesn't matter. So I would say the, the design is there to support the copy. So I would go with the copywriter. Right. And I have a follow-up question to this. Let me ask you this. So now that we're talking about offers, right? Um, so um, say in a landing page, what's, what would you say is the um, primary point of attraction? Is it the offer or what the page says? Yeah, that's another really good question. Wow. Um, so <laughs> I feel like all of these can be their own podcast episode. These are such good questions. Um, I believe the offer is everything. It's the most important thing on the page. Um, the copywriting is there to tease out the offer and explain the offer and show the value of the offer. But at the end of the day, you need to start with an offer. And we see it all the time where clients will come to us and they don't even understand what their offer is. They'll say, hey, I want to get more phone calls. Your phone call, the phone call is not the offer. It's what are you going to give the person when they call? So is it a free consultation? And why do they want that free consultation? So that they can, you know, learn more about something, whatever. So the offer is absolutely the most important thing. And in fact, we prioritize it whenever we're running an A-B test. Uh, we try to test the offers first because we feel that that's just historically from the tests we've run. When you change the offer or when you improve the offer, even if you don't change anything else about the page, that's where you can oftentimes get the most uh, impact. Right. And here's the final rapid fire question. So what is your number one productivity hack to get things done? Uh, so yeah, I, I have like a lot of little hacks. I would say number one though is probably uh, inbox zero. So this is a concept created by uh, someone named Merlin Mann back in the day. And, and the idea was just at the end of every day, you should have no emails in your inbox. And I remember having an, an old boss who... Uh, at, at one of the places I used to work a long time ago, I won't mention any names. And he always had this line where he would say, I'm bad at email. He would always tell people I'm bad at email. And I never wanted to say that to someone because email is a tool. And especially if you work in digital marketing, you shouldn't feel like you're bad at email because that just, it sends the wrong message. I'm not going to want to hire someone who says they're bad at email. And so 
you need to get control of your inbox because that's where we spend a lot of our time. I get a lot of emails every day and I know a lot of folks listening to this are the same way. So look up a concept called Inbox Zero and it creates a, this sort of framework for you to follow where you're basically triaging your, your inbox and you know you don't have to respond to every email right away, but at least you need to take a look at it and put it either in a uh, something to do later category or maybe you don't need to deal with it. Maybe you just need to archive it. Um, but at the end of the day, you should try to have no emails. <laughs> and I know that's probably um, doesn't sound realistic for many folks out there that I know have thousands of emails in their inbox, but it has been such a game changer once I started implementing that and it's become such a habit. And so I really feel like, you know, your inbox can be tamed, it can be controlled, and it makes you a lot more productive when you implement a system like Inbox Zero. So is it because of a tool that you're using or, uh, you know, something like uh, a lot of people use Spark or people have started using uh, this uh is it something like that? Yeah, I know. It's, it's, a, it's quite the topic lately with Hey. Uh, and I know there's one called Supercuman, which is really good, but it's a little bit pricey, right. like 30 bucks a month. But no, my system is actually, I work out of the, the Gmail, the regular Gmail web interface most, mostly. I do have Spark on my, on my iPhone, but I really barely ever use it because most of my email is done uh, on the desktop. But I will say I have it set up where I have tags and I have one tag that's called Next and I have one tag that's called Waiting. So if I send someone an email and I know I need to follow up with them, I'll just tag it with waiting. And then I'll go back every couple of days and look in my waiting list of, of tags and, I'll, and that'll help me know what to follow up on. And then for next, um, as something comes in, if I can deal with it in less than two minutes, I'll just deal with it right then and there. I'll either respond, delete it, archive it, whatever. But if I know I need to deal with it and it's gonna take a little more time, I'll get it out of my inbox and I'll put it into that next label and um, I have it set up where you can actually see the the next emails in your your main inbox, like under the the main compartment. There's like a plugin you can use for that in Gmail, where it sort of divides your inbox into two two spaces. And so then I know I have all these emails I need to follow up on in this next category. And then once a day, I'll just go in there and tackle those, so that I know that you know it's it's anything in my in my main inbox is going to be either archived, deleted, tagged with next or uh, just dealt with right then and there. Some solid tips there, uh, Nicholas. And uh, my inbox zero stands out 392 odds right now. <laughs> we don't just have one email address nowadays. We have multiple. Oh, so yeah. It's a part-time job in itself. We are uh, almost towards the end of the show, uh, Nicholas. And um, is there any parting message that you would like to share with uh, the listener of the AVM Conversation podcast? Yeah, I mean, this was a lot of fun. I, I thank everyone who's who's listening. I thank you guys for for having me on. And if anyone liked the the tips that I'm sharing, probably the best thing to do would be to subscribe to my email list. I know we were just talking about email. I send out one email a week every Thursday, and it's filled with my favorite growth marketing news, tools, and insights. It's a short email, but it's action packed and. Um, I just started doing this. I think I'm eight, uh, eight editions in, so about eight weeks in, and it's been a lot of fun. I was up till uh, 1 a.m. last night trying to get the episode or the the pod, the uh, the newsletter out for this morning. And so I think uh, if you walked away with any tips from this episode, you'll probably get some value out of that newsletter. You could sign up just by going to growthmarketer.co. That's growthmarketer.co. Lovely. Yeah. And uh, me and Yag uh, can personally vouch for it because we also follow and subscribe to the newsletter. So that's definitely great. And uh, one last question, uh, Nicholas, where can people find you online? 
Yeah, probably Twitter. Uh, it's just N Scalise. It's N S C A L I C E. Or you can go to growthmarketer.co and and you can get all the links in the footer. Uh, but I'm very active on Twitter and I would love to connect. And if anyone wants to connect directly one on one via email, you can just email me at nicholas at growthmarketer.co. Great, Nicholas. Um, this has been a great show. And like Yak said, um, actually, what you said earlier about, you know, those rapid fire answers, it looks like we might have to invite you again and again to cover all those <laughs> in more detail and depth. So we'll look forward to having you on the show again. And uh, thank you so much for making it to the show and um, to the listeners of the AVM Conversations podcast. Until we meet you in the next episode, this is bye from Manish. And this is bye from me, Yag. Take care. Thanks for listening to the ABM Conversations Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share your comments with us. We're constantly looking for your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions to make the show more relevant to you. 